0: Welcome to this podcast of "But Did You Die," podcast by Ops Medical Group with your host Craig, Mandy, Wendy and me, John. We are in acute care and emergency medicine clinicians. Our goal with this podcast is to provide education and entertainment by bringing you insights into our experiences to help you better understand critical aspects of medicine. We hope that our stories provide you both uh, an insight into the technical and human side of medicine. Our ultimate goal is to help you develop the technical, mental, and emotional tools to handle emergent events.
1: So we are short today, uh, one MP and one MD. COVID is uh, keeping us all very busy. So today you have the privilege of just Craig and Mandy. Hi, everybody. Two MPs. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about leadership and how OPS kind of became OPS, uh, and all the factors that were involved in it. A long time ago, I went to a couple of conferences that I really enjoyed. And I've also been to conferences that I did not enjoy. And the reason I didn't enjoy them is because I saw the presenter, and I'd actually worked with the presenter several times. And I realized that the person talking was not the same person I had worked with. Okay. And it made me realize, like, there's a deficit when you're a clinician slash leader and you're teaching and you have a lot of failed or a lot of problems, uh, honestly, clinically. So as we started to develop this entire Business, uh, you know, talking to John, who unfortunately is not here today uh, because of work. Um, he said, "Hey, you know what? Let's let's kind of create a little bit of a podcast just to kind of get this started, and uh, let's see how it goes." And some of the feedback we've gotten is that it's been really good. So as we push this thing to a different level, and where I think this is going to end up going is. Uh, on our consulting side. And uh, I got asked by a friend of mine who's a VP if I could talk about a little bit about leadership and my perspective on it from uh, my military background. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't know, but um, I have played a CNO. I have played a medical director, and I have played the role of a strategic planner in the military. I've taken some units who have been really bad to be really good. And it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of analyzing of your people. And as we were creating this company, this tiny mm-hmm. little company and, and thoughts and creativity, uh, what I really liked about each and every person Uh, on this team is their demeanor and their character.
2: I think it takes a lot to um, be a leader and work in a team. Mm -hmm. So when you speak about demeanor and character, um, you can be the smartest person in the world, but if you're just a mean, nasty person and very self-centered, um, it's not gonna work.
1: You're right. It's not gonna work. So, uh, in saying that, so that's that's a character type in leadership, which is the micromanager. And so the micromanager tends to have like really good numbers. Uh, in other words, you know, their metrics tend to be met very accurately. However, they tend to have the highest turnover rate. And when people look at turnover rate, they need to pay attention to how much does that cost you as a company. And when you look now, and, you're, and you know, this was years ago when I was, you know, playing CNO, uh, I would say it costs about $125,000 to get an RN onto your floor for three months Jeez. to recruit, right? So if you lose an RN, and especially if you look at it from a clinical perspective and you're saying, well... How much does it cost to lose an RN? Well, it all depends how much experience they have and where they are clinically. <clears throat> you get an ICU nurse that's been an ICU nurse for three years. Technically, that is equivalent to a residency. And so that person should be a satisfactory RN, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a graduate, basically, of residency equivalent. It doesn't mean that they're an expert at five years they're considered an expert same thing in the emergency room right yeah so as you and I both know you know we sit back and you're looking at people and you're like man that person's really smart right and it's just that they've seen a lot of patients and that's one of the things that I learned from a a doc he would who I would look at and I'd be like man you're so smart it's like no I've seen a lot of patients
2: it's experience
1: (laughs) yeah yeah. yeah uh which is really difficult. Um, uh, the, so the leadership part, uh, for me, uh, my leadership part stems back to a very, very long time ago when I was in the Army. And I remember failing this thing called the Expert Infantry Badge the first time and how much work was involved. And I used to think it was a joke, like, I don't have to do this, right, because I'm, I'm going to eventually get my combat infantry badge and I'm not going to ever use my EIB or be proud of it. And I was wrong. I was so wrong it wasn't even funny. So the first time I felt it, um, I was almost at the end. And it's about, there's probably going to be some veterans that are going to kind of get upset. But I want to say it's like a, over a 1,000 different tasks that you have to complete.
2: In a specific time
1: frame? It's like 72 hours. Holy cow. Yeah. So it starts off, you take a PT test, and then you go and you ruck 12 miles, and then you break like two weapons down, and then you put them back together, and you fire them. Uh, Before all that starts, you have to go fire expert. Uh, At least that's the way it used to be. I don't know how it is now. But you had to qualify with your weapon, then from qualification, you would start your PT test, and then you would go do your ruck, and then... You go to land nav, uh, and it's an all-night land nav. I don't know how it is now. And I remember at the end, I was like, I had to do this thing. It's called coffer fire, and we're calling in an artillery attack on this position. And it's a sequence of events that you have to do. Uh, You haven't slept in, like, three days, and it's at the very end. Yeah, And if you... You know, it's one radio call, it's one thing, and it's, you know, all these little micro-movements. And at the end, I got it wrong.
2: Dang, you were all the way at the end.
1: (laughs) And uh, you're allowed to, like, I want to say you're allowed to fail one event, and you're allowed to redo it. And so I got to redo it, and I failed it a second time. Because I... I was like, my mind was, my, there's nothing by now. left. Yeah. So the second time around, <clears throat> there was this crusty old guy. And I want to say he was a Vietnam vet. He was like one of the re- last remaining Vietnam vets at the time. And he told me he had one. And he goes, that was the proudest thing I, I have and he goes, because I had to work. I had to work so hard for it. He goes, it's not like a deployment where you go downrange and you just go, you know, you're there and it doesn't matter if you go outside the wire, or if you stay home, you know, on the fob, you you actually have to work for this thing and it's a lot of work. And that little thing, I remember thinking to myself, Man, you know what? If this old dude can get it, I'm I'm gonna go get it. Yeah. And that, and that was it, right? Like yeah. I had set my like my mind was set like I am not going to so I started rehearsing every little thing and at the end I ended up getting it and I sat or I stood in front of like 2000 guys that all went out for it and I want to say there was about 9 of us that made it jeez and it and at that moment you know you're standing out there and you're getting this thing pinned on you and I just remember thinking okay I get what he was talking about. You know, here's this, you know, Colonel pinning you this this award that you genuinely earned. Uh, There's no way to fake a road march. There's no way to, you know, fake a PT test, a road march, and then, of course, going to land nav, and then all the other events. It's just, it's impossible. I'm not saying it can't, can't be done, but it, you know, unless all your friends are, handing it to you. It's not going to happen. Um, So to me, that's where like my leadership journey started and it hasn't ended. And from there I went to uh, what we call a non-commissioned officer board so I could become a sergeant. And there was this, once again, I'm standing in front of like all these crusty, <clears throat> you know, uh, first sergeants and, you know, they're asking me all these questions and I'm, you know, I rehearsed everything and I'm like, I'm going to get this thing right. I'm going to yeah. finish it. Same thing, like same mindset. I'm going to get it. There's no way I'm going to fail. And I get to this sergeant and I wish I could remember his name. And he's talking to me about... Survival, And so we have to go through this thing called seer. And he's asking me, he's like, you know, what's the the one thing you need, right? What's the one thing you need? And I'm like, oh, you need water. And he's like, no. You need shelter. He's like, no. (laughs) You know, you need food. No. He goes, when all else fails, you need one thing. What is that one thing? And and I'm sitting there and I'm digging deep. I I have no clue what he's talking about. I'm like, clothing, you know, I I I don't know what else. Fire. And he's like, no, you need the will, right? You need the will to win. You need the will to survive. He goes, dying is easy. He goes, living is hard. Surviving is hard. And as we started kind of, you know, all talking, and and I'm referring to the four of us, uh, I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, I want to create this company, but I don't know if if I can, you know, like if I can really genuinely do this. And I remember that one moment, and he's like talking to me again. Like, do you have the will to win? Do you have the will to take on you as a, you know, person just walking around, take on every corporation in the world? yeah. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I got the will. I'm ready to fight. You know, and that's how I went with it. So the power, in my opinion, is really all in your mind. Uh, And then, of course, with the mind, the body will follow. So if you, you know, say, hey, I'm going to go run a marathon. Yeah, you can probably go run a marathon anytime you want to um, if you will yourself to do it. Yeah. Uh, The same thing with us, you know, we you know some of us went to med school some of us went to NP school some of us have practiced in trauma and the ICU and and whatnot and it was one of those things what drove you there and then you sit back and you're like how did we get to this spot right and it's really the power of our minds Uh, and the power of our minds has probably led a lot in our leadership styles and when it comes to leadership um there's a there's several different perspectives, and I have broken it down to three different things, and that's how I present it to my military peers. And as a leader, um, there are basically three personality types, and I think all every individual has them, and it's just a matter if it's a balance. Okay. So at, at the end, uh, you have this person that is either a yes person within you. Uh, you have a no person that is within you. Uh, then you have the WTF person, right? <laughs> right. And so everybody you can relate to the WTF person. You're like, what the? Yeah. You know, right right off the so, bat. definitely, yeah. Like, you're giving me this patient you haven't done anything with them, you know, so immediately, or, you know, you're given a task and it's like, you want me to do what? You know, it's like, okay. And then of course there's the yes, where it's like, Oh, I'm not going to ask any questions. Yes. I'll take that patient because that's my job. My job is to take patients. And for us in the emergency room who we can't turn anybody away, we're like, yeah, I'm going to see you, but this is the problem. And within all that construct, there has to be a division where there's a rational person. And in, and in my opinion, this is where you have a leader who can understand all three concepts within themselves and then rationalize. Yeah. And say, yeah, that is a WTF moment. Yes, we need to do that, but no, we can't do it that way. Rationalize it and then say, okay... Let me actually formulate a plan. Let me actually create, you know, something that can that sounds halfway constructive. Yeah. Versus just hey, let's just go balls to the wall and go do this, and then guess what? We're gonna fail, and we're gonna fail again, and we're gonna fail again. Yeah. It's not gonna go. But we're gonna do it over and over and over again. That's called insanity, I think. Or yeah, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. (laughs) That is definitely insanity. Um. yeah so from those three things uh, and then of course that's kind of like a pie chart that I have that I've created and I present to my medical group and it's like hey you know you, you technically should have all these three folks within you and then of course this other half should be being rational um,
2: I think a lot of people don't have the rational part
1: I, I think it's I, hard to develop yeah I really do. Uh, I I could tell you even for myself. I remember there was a time frame where I thought, "Yeah, I don't want to like just deal with that at all." I don't know if you've ever felt like that.
2: Yeah, um, but I think, uh, and I, I think, just from my perspective, some of the staff that I've seen don't have like that little rational bone where you stop and think, "Okay." what would be the best the next best course of action here. I think they have the either the no or the WTF Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and forget the yes part. And that's a lot of what I've seen. Either the no or the WTF and freak out and panic. Most of it's panic. Most of it's the WTF that I've seen. It's the panic part and no rational thought comes into their mind it's just pure panic
1: yeah um i don't know if you remember like what it's like to work with like surgical residents and, yeah and so i don't i don't remember them like ever having a class where they had to sit and go hey you know what it's okay to kind of panic but panic internally you know yeah uh, voice what you need to voice and ask questions versus just going and doing something which is even going to make it worse which I remember seeing in surgical residents I was like I don't no. know if they ever have that class <laughs> or anybody tells them that uh
2: I know one time we had this resident bless her heart um she was going through her trauma rotation she was a uh, urology bless her heart. And uh, some guy came in, absolute hot mess. I don't remember what it was, some kind of terrible trauma that needed to be intubated. And um, they usually won't do procedures unless the attending's there. And it had been a bad night. And I think the attending for the ER was in the OR and the attending for the ICU was also in the OR with another case. So there was no attending like there immediately. And so we're telling her like, he needs to be intubated. And she's just kind of panicking because she's like, I don't deal with this end. I deal with the other end. Like I can put a Foley in that thing. I can't, I don't, I can't put a tube in this mouth. What, 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 what is this? I don't yeah. do this. And so, um, we had one of the, the upper levels, the residents, uh, come down with the one that was in the ICU and, uh, he helped her and walked her through it. But, like the sheer look of terror in her eyes because she was like, I-, I don't know what to do with this. Like, what, what do I do with this here? This is, I-, I don't deal with this end. I mean, we all kind of laughed, but, you know, she just, it was the WTF moment for her and she just, yeah, just it-, it all just came out of her mouth and instead of just like take a deep breath and say, okay, get one of the other residents mm-hmm. to come down here and we'll do this. Yeah. Like we can bag him until he gets here but her face was just like, she wasn't even bagging the guy. He's gasping for air. Like it was terrible. And we're like, girl, come on. Like, what are you doing? But you know what I mean? Like the WTF Mm -hmm. took over and she just.
1: Yeah. You know, they're waving her hands in the air. So there's a, I I know John and I have spoken several times about, uh, you know, decision-making processes, uh, which also leads into part of the leadership part. Uh, And if, you know, you're, you know, for us, you know, either an NP or, or a doc, um, you sit back and, you know, at the end of a day, if you're, if you're going to meetings and you're going to, uh, if you're in residency and, you know, you're stuck on that 24-hour, 36-hour call, there's only so much honest decision-making that you have. Oh, yeah. And a lot of folks don't understand that. You know, they think, oh, you can make decisions all day long, but the minute you hit like a cap of like thirty patients and they are genuinely sick and you're making decisions and especially doing procedures, it makes it very difficult because, you know, you're in your mind you may be focused on that one thing for one second, but you could immediately immediately get distracted with a oh, gosh, yeah. somebody coming in and being like hey, did you know that the potassium in so-and-so's room is like 6.9? It's like, okay, do you see that I'm putting a central line in right now?
2: Yeah, or your page starts going off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it, I get it. So I read, I, I don't know if I read this article or I heard this on the radio somewhere, but they were talking about, um, oh, my gosh, one of these big tech guys um, that always wore the same color, and I don't remember who it was, always wore black. And it was because he said that he had better decisions to make throughout his day. And it didn't really make sense until I thought about it. I was like, yeah. And and I have experienced it myself. Like, it, it's just decision fatigue. Like, you mm-hmm. only have so many, dis- like, good decisions to make throughout the day. And as your day gets longer and longer, and if you're constantly barraged with phone calls, um... Text messages, pages, mm. consults, whatever.
1: And then you still got to see the patient. And
2: you still got to see the patient. Yeah. Or you're in the middle, like you said, of a procedure and somebody comes at you with some crazy nonsense or number or something. Yeah. One, you lose your train of thought with doing what you're doing. Um, and I know at some point that just becomes muscle memory. You just do it. But still, though, you're kind of in the middle of a sterile procedure.
1: Yeah,
2: I no. And now you got to stop and address somebody else's comment or need or whatever.
1: And then there's a, you know, there's a constant that you paged on top life. of it. Yes,
2: exactly. <laughs> never mind someone's life is on the line here in my hands.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: No, definitely. I get it.
1: Yeah. It, and it's it's never ending when, when you're actually in the hospital as far as some of that stuff is concerned. Um, so with that part, what I wanted to do is talk about how... All that kind of led into me being a planner and and the, how how clinicians can basically create things and, and understand things no differently than anybody else. It's just a matter of application in my opinion when I when I left and became a planner, uh, a lot of folks uh, up there had a lot of reservations because I was one of the first clinical providers to actually go into that scenario. And when you're dealing with flying operations and some, and in some cases, some special operations missions, um, you know, folks were asking questions and they thought, well, you know, he's not going to get it because, you know, he's, he's worried about sick people, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, he you know you 're there to be a subject matter expert on sick people and what um, what assets we can bring to the table and little by little, I started to realize that these guys started asking me questions and then they would invite me back and be like hey can can you come over and talk to us about this and can you show us this and then little by little, I would ask them, "Hey, can you show me a little bit about how the flight line works other than what I know and how do we set up an airstrip in the middle of nowhere and who's required and how many people and you know what do we need and then the surveillance of it and a lot of other little things and so that's how this whole team got formed is off of those ideas and that ability so bringing capability in my opinion is mind-blowing for a lot of folks because leadership and capability are the same thing, but it's very different when it's effective and it's not effective. Take, for example, how how does an airfield run, right? So if an airplane is a bed, an ER bed, an ICU bed, the patient is cargo. On the on the air on the airfield, when we load patients, they are considered cargo. At the very end of the day, and so we move them with that aspect of it. And it's the same thing in the medical world. Uh, there's a revenue involved on both sides because there's a, a budget that's created for air movement of mm-hmm. patients. And there's a revenue created as we move patients through the emergency room to the ICU and the floor and wherever else. So it's the same thing. It's just a matter of understanding how they all work. And then, of course, the documentation that goes with it, which is the administrative side. And what I ended up learning from a couple of different generals was if you can understand th- the whole thing, the wheel, mm-hmm. how, it, how it really turns, you can basically make any company you want and at the same time be successful because you understand the concepts the same thing with uh running missions and creating a big strategic plan for for your operation and that's how this kind of like all came about um the the irony of it all is how complex it is and nobody ever tells you
2: oh yeah all the tiny moving parts. Yeah,
1: like nobody ever tells you, like, hey, you know, you need gas to put in the car to actually get to the flight line. And then, and you forget about those little things, right? Yeah. Oh, the the car needs tires. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, you need a credit card to actually put gas in the car and buy the tires. Oh, you need a credit card. To, and, you know, and all those little administrative things are what move the entire system. And... It's a lot more complex, but at the same time, it, it, it's it's pretty simple.
2: Yeah. There's just multiple layers.
1: Yeah. 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 And I think it's pretty amazing, um, you know, when we all first sat down and we were like talking about, you know, creating this thing and we're like, oh, yeah. Um, but nobody ever said, hey, you know what? I don't want to do this because of this. You know, I, I don't want to risk my career and I don't. You know, I don't want to risk my finance or whatever. We just all kind of said, hey, you know what? I think we can do this. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty amazing. So, in that aspect, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Dan Pena. No. So, he's, he's this billionaire guy. And he talked about, uh, he talks a little bit about leadership. And he goes, you know, most people enjoy being. In management, he doesn't call it leadership. He goes, most people enjoy being in management. And he goes, what we do is we wait until a person, you know, is a little successful, you know, being a middle manager, and then they kind of we move them up into like a CEO slot, and, they, and we let them make money for us. And that's what makes them happy, right? Because they finally became a CEO. And he goes, you know, you get somebody about forty years old, they're they're prime age, they've made enough bad decisions, they've made enough good decisions, mm-hmm. and they know how to make money. A lot of times they know how to make money for other people. And he goes, so I hire them to make money for me. And in the military, it's no different. So they, they move people along. The only difference is we have to take, you know, PT tests and we have to go shooting and we have to do all these other little things. Um, and we represent the military. And we either represent good parts of the company mm-hmm. that um, are effective or you're a bad leader or a non-effective leader and you represent a bad company. And a lot of times, they you know, we go through leadership like it's water, um, which is difficult in a lot of situations. And I, and I think a big reason is a lot of folks don't understand what it's like to be in the that middle part of the leader. Even though you're, like, a CEO, you're still in the middle.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, because you can advocate. Like, in my, you know, as a director, a medical director, or chief nursing officer, I can sit around and I can advocate for one thing for the staff. Tell them that I'm advocating for it. But they can still be unhappy with me. And then I present it to the corporate people Mm -hmm. and then they're upset with it but it's the truth like there are things that need to happen like we need like say for example right now you need more nurses you need more icu nurses you need more er nurses need floor nurses yeah um and you they need education right so those those are that's one that's two different things so how do you educate all these folks And then on top of it, you know, when you present it, they're like, well, all they see is dollar signs. So, where are we going to get the money? You know, we don't have a position filled. And I think for a lot of folks who don't understand, you know, the first thing that was let go when COVID hit was the education department.
2: Yeah. Which. Now, looking back, just seems very counterintuitive. Why would you let go of your education department when we're now battling this Unknown virus,
1: and it's insane. Yeah, yeah, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, there was a doc that I worked with at UTMB. He was a surgeon, and I wish I could remember his name. He he was, he was brilliant. Um, he told me, he goes, "Whatever you do, do not let them build a." template or a bundle for everything in the emergency room he goes because what will happen is you will take away thinking which means you know basically you're gonna your decision is gonna be oh you know what i'm gonna everybody is gonna be septic yes every and so you're gonna treat everybody and so what was the first thing that happened with covid everybody was like oh they're septic and then you give them fluid, and guess what? Now, now, now they're, they're all drowning, yeah. yeah. Now they're drowning. Now they're all intubated. Oh, don't intubate them because guess what? That's not the right thing to do now. Yeah. You know, and so um, you know, I I look, and that was probably ten years ago that I worked with that guy. It's just it's just amazing, like the people that you run into, and you're just like, man, I remember that guy. And He was right.
2: Yeah, he was right. Even now, before even patients that we get that come in that are you know, have that elevated lactic acid level. And your lactic acid level can be elevated for a variety of reasons. doesn't mean you're septic. So I get those patients on admission, and it's not everybody does this, but people that don't really think about what they're looking at and what's being presented, how the patient presents, what their problems are, and they don't need that 30 cc per kilo bolus, mm-hmm. but they get it anyway because it's like, well, you know, their lactic's up and it's like, well, their lactic's up because their liver's bad and they're not going to clear the lactic acid. Like that's probably their baseline.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so now we've just like volume overloaded
1: them and they have CHF <laughs> and they're in real fair. Yeah. Yeah. They're in herpato-renal syndrome and now they're, now you have to intubate them. Yeah.
2: So, no, I agree with you about the whole, yeah, there doesn't have to be, well, just, you take away people's thinking. People just quit thinking.
1: Well, that that goes back to the, you know, the critical decision making uh, that we were talking about earlier is you take away some of that uh, thinking, or the ability to just make a solid decision based on what the clinical presentation is versus Um, just assuming that the person is septic.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's hard, especially when you're, you know, yourself volume overloaded with, you know, really sick people
2: or a combination of
1: really sick people having to answer a lot of questions from the nursing staff, having to answer, you know, consults and, you know, this isn't, um, complaining about our job. This is just the reality reality of of what what we we do. do. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we deal with a lot of different things uh, all at one time, and it's and in my opinion, it's just very it's a very different role because when I go and do administrative work, it's a little bit more laid back. I can sit back, I can do a little PowerPoint. Everybody's all happy off the PowerPoint, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, look, that's brilliant. Okay, thanks, guys. Sit in the ER, and you know, you're dropping central lines and doing intubations, and you know, you're cross-covering an ICU, and it's like, holy, what yeah, the.
2: <laughs> exactly. The what the, yeah, it comes in. WTF, for sure.
1: Yeah. So.
2: And a lot of uh, people's lives depend on the good or bad decisions we make. Yeah. In the clinician role. Yeah. Like, pretty immediately. Do you know what I mean? Y- yeah. So, so when th- you get to the point where you're fatigued, and I've been there. I've been there where I'm just like, you know what? I just got to walk away and take five minutes, go have me a soda or whatever, and just, mm-hmm. I'm going to not answer this phone for five minutes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm notorious for putting my earbuds in and just, like, listening to music for, like, you know, two to three minutes and just, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to veg here for just a second yeah. and get, you know, reset myself kind of regroup and get ready to re-engage but i i need this yeah two to three minutes
2: oh yeah definitely um
1: and i you know if you if you go and you add if you're practicing clinically and you're a manager at the same time the hard part is you're dealing with all three aspects uh you know you're dealing and when i say three it's you're dealing with the administrative side uh you're dealing with your personnel and then you're dealing with the the patients that you're having to see mm-hmm. which is which can be um a little overwhelming some days and at the same time feel like you're just digging this hole and you don't know where it's going mm-hmm. especially right now in my opinion
2: oh gosh yes Definitely.
1: You know, you, you walk back in, you know, like perfect example is John, you know, he walks back in, he's like, Hey, I went and had this meeting and this is what happened and oh by the way, uh nobody's gonna be happy with what I have to say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that stinks.
1: <laughs> and uh you know the same thing with me. So I'll you know, tell my guys in the military, Hey, by the way, we're all getting activated they're like, Oh, great, okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's just it's just tough. It's just going yeah. fall together. Um, the The one thing unique about you know practicing medicine uh, is from you know from a military perspective is if you're a, you know you're planning something and you're trying to figure out well you know as a doc or as a nurse uh, or as a you know nurse executive. You're trying to figure out, okay, well, how does how does that relate to planning? So planning, when it comes to medicine, is a direct impact. And what I mean by that is you go in and you're going to directly, this one clinician is going to directly impact the life of one person uh, as they see them which is going to be us. And we walk in, we see this person and, you know, we're like, Hey, this person is not psyched that they they have COVID or whatever. And this is the route we're going to go. Then the indirect impact is the nursing staff. So the nursing staff was going to be like, well, are you sure? And okay. So now I have to gown up and this, that, and the other, um, mm-hmm. uh, And then, of course, isolate the patient and everything else under the sun. And so from mission planning, those are are the two things that kind of come to my head. Uh, You have a direct impact person, and then you have the indirect impact of the impact, which is the clinical staff, even yourself. You know, because obviously we have a person here who is sick with, uh, with a loved one, and... Her loved one practices in the emergency room, and now she's sick. So, once again, it's it's an, an indirect impact from her direct impact of seeing patients. Yeah, which kind of really sucks.
2: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, there is. Are you a reader?
2: No, I can't say I am.
1: No. So there's a couple of books that I've read. Um, and several were like required for some of the stuff I did in the military. And one of them was Sun Tzu, um, who is considered like the greatest general of all time. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of him. Um, one of the things that he talks about, and one of the things that actually stuck in my head...
2: I have this book. I have the book, The Art of War. Mm-hmm. I didn't finish the whole thing. I'm notorious for... like. For- Like, oh, this book seems interesting. And I start reading it, and I have the attention span of a gnat. (laughs) So I might get halfway through, and I'm like, "Um, okay, I'll read it later. And then I just don't ever go back to it. But I have read, yeah, part of...
1: What part did you like?
2: Oh, man, I read it so long ago, I can't even
1: remember. Really? Yeah. I want to say the last time I... So I've read it probably twice, I think, maybe four years ago, five mm-hmm. years ago. It was the last time I read yeah. it. Um, one of one of the parts where he takes over the concubines, mm-hmm. the hundred concubines. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that part? Mm-mm. No. So for a lot of folks, um, and you know, I'm just going to call it what it is. There's a lot of, you know, people that will hate on, uh, management or leaders or whatever and kind of talk a lot of shit about them yeah which in my opinion uh, is good and bad Uh, if if you're telling the person to their face it's good
2: yeah because at least you're coming up and telling them like i think this is a bad idea yeah you may want to rethink some of these things now yeah
1: if you're doing it behind their back then it's not good because it doesn't really create anything whatsoever other than probably a little toxic following for you yeah um which goes to sun Sensu Tzu. sun Tzu went and did something that i thought was just amazing so this warlord went and hired him because he was supposed to be the greatest general of all time mm-hmm. and he goes hey this is what I, you know i don't really believe you're that great so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna give you my 100 concubines and he goes okay you, you, <laughs> and you're gonna train them and once you're done training them Uh, I want to see what they can do. So he was like, okay. Uh, I went out there and started training them. And like five of the concubines wouldn't listen. And so he told them, he goes, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to cut your head off. Right. And one of the concubines that definitely would not listen Mm -hmm. was the warlord's favorite. Like he he was not allowed to touch her. Mm -hmm. So he went out there and, you know, They're out there practicing and practicing and these, you know, concubines start giggling and they start doing whatever they want to do because, you know, she gets to do whatever she wants to do. So he went out there and he cut her head off, right? And then they all fell in order. And then the warlord got upset and kicked him and all the concubines off the, you know, whatever, his little base, Mm -hmm. you know, his village. And Sun Tzu was like, okay, we're going to keep practicing. And then we're going to go back and we're going to take that village and we're going to take his army. And so he went back with the 95 concubines and Mm -hmm. conquered the village and conquered the warlord. Nice. And so uh, the reason I bring that up is because when you're dealing with, in my opinion, uh, toxic individuals, sometimes you have to go that route.
2: Yeah. And
1: there are people that completely avoid confrontation especially in medicine. Yeah. (laughs) They would rather keep this person around who is completely toxic, who is completely inept, and think because they have this body that it is better for the organization than just removing them altogether.
2: Yeah. I agree. Um, A lot of times I think what I've seen is... uh Yes, they will keep someone knowing that this person has this toxic attitude and toxic following and continues to undermine and belittle and whatever. But because it's a warm body that fills a spot, they'll keep this person not... And I don't know if they... I don't know if in their mind it seems easier to just keep someone like that versus get rid of them and get rid of that whole attitude and just get a new person in. I don't understand it.
1: So, the, I think the moral of this story is if you get rid of the one bad person, you'll have 99 or 95 that will eventually follow yeah. you into combat, which is pretty amazing to me, um, especially considering that they were concubines. They weren't trained war fighters or yeah. swordsmen. So I, don't, I don't know what they were. Uh, Back then, I'm assuming probably swords people, swordsmen. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's kind of wild.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, and, and I also think there's, um, there's this stigma that kind of goes with it. You know, you, you create this one thing and you're successful, and it can be anything from you know, doing procedures or managing really critically ill patients or even changing and flipping in an the emergency room or flipping how an ICU works and not so much bringing in new leadership but recognizing that there's leadership there. And then cultivating it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one of the words that I use uh, in the military is like, you know, here at home station or in garrison, we are a farm, right? And my job here is to make you ripe for the world to get ready to go out the door. And a lot of times in in our positions, and especially, you know, when we are dealing with uh, the emergency room and the ICU or the floor in general, is you don't see that. Like, I don't see it. Uh, As a matter of fact, I think a lot of times, a lot of folks, even who are coordinators, uh, which are like charge nurses or or whatnot, turn to us for advice a lot of times, you know, for what they should do, which is good, in my opinion. And at the same time, um, I've even had executives who have, you know, come to me and said, hey, you know, I got a question, you know. Can I hit you with this? And you kind of give me some feedback. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I recommend doing the following is what I would do. Um, Which is, once again, um, good for us as a brand new little tiny company, you know, showing up and kind of saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, I've done this, that, and the other, but, you know, can I still do it today? Absolutely. Uh, Which goes back to Sun Tzu, you know, it's like, I get that you are supposed to be this guy, but I don't really think you are. And let me <laughs> prove it, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, you took over my entire army and so, village. Oh, Yeah, I guess he And killed he me.
2: Is. Yes. <laughs> I guess he was, uh, yeah, the greatest general.
1: Um, there was another guy that I read about, and it goes back to, I think his name was Machido. I might be saying his name wrong. And he was supposed to be considered like the greatest swordsman of all time. When I read about him, like all he ever talked about was practice, right? Mm-hmm. Like practice, practice, practice. And so he mastered like seven or eight moves. And I, I'm, I'm, I can't really tell you it's just seven or eight, but uh, something, uh, it's something, yeah, yeah, somewhere on there. And what he did was he mastered him. He won like 10 fights, like 10 sword fights. And those 10 sword fights, like, set the standard because he beat the greatest that were around at the time. And I think about it, and I'm just like, that's kind of crazy. Because us, what we do for a living, we sword fight with COVID every day. We yeah. fight with CHF every day. We fight with all these multiple different disease processes. And then if you add... Multiple disease processes.
2: In the one patient. In one patient. Yeah.
1: It's multiple fights that you're putting up. And, you know, when I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, well, a lot of folks think, well, you know, you guys are clinicians. Yeah, but if you can analyze it and then at the time figure it out real quick, push forward, set your plan, push your orders out, you know, talk to your nursing staff and then they execute it. We're going to be golden, yeah, uh, which is once again, if you have people that are under that three year mark it you end up having to do a lot more education, and I can tell you that you you'll immediately know
2: oh, yeah, definitely
1: or someone that comes in from you know that is previously like a educator and is now at the bedside and hasn't seen a patient and they can't clinically correlate what's going on yeah because they've been doing PowerPoint presentations and education for the last you know two to three years
2: mm-hmm. yeah now I hear you I think um, no I agree with you I think you can tell when you depending on the nurse that you're dealing with kind of where they're at and their
1: even with the
2: clinical doc. experience yeah with the docs too yeah even with the docs yeah with their clinical experience and how long, not necessarily how long they've been practicing, but how much experience they've had. Like, Because we've had a couple of new docs that have come through, and nice, but you can tell don't have a lot of experience mm-hmm. and are a little bit scared and timid about some of the patients, at least for me, some of the patients that I've gotten from them. Um, are sometimes still a mess and it's like something's wrong with them Mm -hmm. I can't send them home and that's about all I get. (laughs) And then I got to fix them, which whatever, that's fine. It just is what it is. (laughs) But you know, but you can tell, you can tell who's, who's been experienced and who's, you know, just kind of like, yeah, I I don't know what to do with this, but I can't send them home.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. So yeah, no, I agree with you.
1: You know, I think the one the one thing cool uh, about what we've done collectively as as a small group is. And there's another book that I read. Um, I think it's called like The Runner's Brain or The Runner's Mind or something like that, mm-hmm. and it talked about how. You make me
2: feel bad. I, I get into... Well, the only reason no, I bring up all these books I, is no, because... No, I'm so happy that somebody else reads. I wish I could say that <laughs> I was a reader, but I'm serious. I have the attention span of a gnat. I'll look at a book, and I'm like, wow, this looks really good, and I'll read it, and then I'm like, okay, I'll read it later, and I just don't ever get back to it. I, I just... I can't help it. It's just, okay. I've always been like that. I don't know if it goes back to being a kid in school where like they force you to read all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that totally turned me off to like reading. I knew when I was a kid, I was like, oh, I got to read this. Oh, terrible.
1: Well, you know, the reason <laughs> anyway, sorry. I, I, The reason I bring it up is because, you know, when John's here, uh, he's he's consistently, you know, in, in this study and that study and oh, this yeah. book and that book. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do this podcast today, I better come with like some ammunition. That's that, true. That's other, other than, true. hey, in Craig's mind, you know, <laughs> this is what this is what matters. This is how the
2: world works in <laughs> Craig's head. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> um so, and in, in, I want to say it's the runner's brain. Uh, they talk about how if you want to become a better runner, you don't hang around with, like, a bunch of first graders and go running with them, right? Yeah. You, you go and run with experienced, competitive runners, and, you know, in each level, you'll get a little bit better, and you'll learn their techniques, and, you know, when I think about my military career, I think about, you know, starting out, you know, I was this infantry guy. And then little by little, you know, you go through these selection processes and then you hang around with, oh, you're no longer in the regular group or the slow group of runners. You're in the fast group of runners. And then you go and, you know, perform and you get this EIB and you're no longer working with the regular guys now mm-hmm. you're working with the upper level guys and then you go and you do something else and next thing you know you're hanging out with you know some of the best people in the military
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you know as we started formulating this team i thought man you know what that's how i feel right now like we're creating this like runner's brain within us
2: yeah i think because we all bring a different piece to the table yeah we all bring a different, a little different aspect. We've all got different work experience, different life experience, and we all bring something different to the table.
1: Which I think is kind of awesome. Oh,
2: yeah, definitely. We're not all uh, this one cookie-cutter kind of person.
1: Yeah, it would kind of suck if everybody was the same, in my opinion. Yeah. And yeah. it's just Craig's brain kind of going, you know, Yeah. versus the world of-
2: but I think that's important for leadership, too, to be able to recognize um, that when you're making your team or creating your team, you don't want everybody to be the same exact. Like, you, you need on your team, everybody has to bring a different aspect to your team.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because there's some things that you're good at that John may not be good at that Wendy might be okay at, that I totally suck at. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. But we've all got, uh, I think we've all got kind of a different skill set. Somewhat similar, but not really. Um, but I think it just complements each other. And I think for leadership, when you're building a team, that's kind of some of the things you need to think about is, you know, building a team that's going to be complementary to each other.
1: Yeah. Um, the, so... I could tell you already the one thing that Wendy does is she is like, she may look cute and cuddly, but she is, she's a savage. Like she's, she's a beast. I mean, <laughs> she, she will tell you exactly where you stand. Yeah. And if you're not at her level, she's going to tell you, Hey, you're not at this level. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, and i i love that about her yeah you know, it's the same thing with definitely. you you know you're 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 in the same retrospect as just your hospital medicine versus em yeah. um you know the one thing that i think john brings that is very unique is he's a continuous learner
2: oh yeah definitely
1: you know uh and then within all four of us we are we're really good at Closing the loop of communication within us.
2: Yeah, I think Wh- so.
1: Which is you got to have in in, in the know, corporate You know, and that's world.
2: a skill. I, I I don't think people really realize. Like, some people are just good at closed loop communication, but if you're not, like that's a that's a skill that you really need to learn. Mm-hmm. That you really need to pick up on, learn. Um because there's so many people that i think especially if you're running a code and you don't you don't have that closed loop communication like i'm giving an order for a milligram of epinephrine and if the nurse on the other side doesn't say i am pulling up the milligram of epinephrine i'm going to give it if nobody says anything you're just like did anybody hear this did y'all hear me <laughs> i just said a milligram of epi hello yeah i've been in those and it's just like or is someone pulling it up? What are y'all doing? And then you get all these people like, oh, yeah, we heard you. Okay. Close loop communication. Somebody acknowledge it and agree and say something like, yes, I heard this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I it, know it sounds funny, but it's true.
1: It It is a skill. Yeah. Uh, and it's a very needed skill in the world. Yeah. Everywhere. Um, and there's a lot of people that don't do it. It's almost like you it falls on deaf ears and you're Mm -hmm. sitting there thinking to yourself like, seriously, you know, for us, you know, we, we take the extreme examples of, you know, a person's life. But at the same time, if you're, if you're a person and you're just sitting there and, you know, you get the bill for something uh, and you, your friend says, Hey, you know, I'm going to pick up the bill. You could at least have the courtesy. Be like, Oh man, that's really nice of you or whatever, (laughs) you know, but to me, that that's just probably like the, the most basic way of you know closing that loop. Oh yeah. Um, golly, yeah, yeah. And I, for us, I think that's probably the biggest. And it may be just that what we do for a living and how how we do it that makes it special.
2: Yeah, I think so. And we just become so acclimated to it, just kind of in the line of what we do every day. Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah. Aren't you going to talk about uh, kind of your the group that you took over in the military?
1: Yeah, man, I totally forgot about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's been a couple. So I'm, I was a former corporate guy for on the civilian side, and so there've been a couple of emergency rooms that I went and helped out and uh, turned them around. And then on the military side, so I've been doing corporate stuff with them probably three or four years now, five years. And there was a guy, there was a general that I worked for, and uh, he told me, you know, uh, this was a long, you know, six years ago probably, he said, you know, um, know that nobody wants you here, and... Wow. <laughs> yeah, he, he told me that. He goes, No, that nobody wants you here. And uh, you're going to have to be bold. Be bold in every decision that you make. And you want criticism to your face. So the first person I remember meeting after that was this 06. And uh, she told me, um, you shouldn't be here. And, and we had to go plan this mission. Which, you know, eventually led to me transitioning to different opportunities in the military. And, you know, I I took over some unit and then, um, they were basically like last place for the longest time. Yikes. And, uh. Yeah, we recently last
2: place like ranked in their yeah. capabilities.
1: Well, it's not it's not capabilities. It's more like what they call readiness. And so my definition of readiness is 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 multifactorial. It's not just one thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a
2: and they rank them to obviously other units in the country. Correct. Yeah. Okay.
1: So So it's like their ability to be ready compared to other military units. And they were pretty much last. Yeah. And so, you know, when I sat there and I listened to it and I was like, man, that's really messed up. Right. And I thought, well, you know what? I could either sit here and, you know, say, well, you know, WTF. Well, if they're close to last,
2: you can't get any much worse. Right. So you you go
1: WTF and then Uh. there's no, right? WTF and no. Uh, And then there's a part of me that said, well yeah, I could do this. And let me be rational about it. What would happen if it went up one percentage point? Right. Yeah. And as things improved, I saw it, like I saw the improvement, but because I was looking at it from a different set of eyes. Yeah. And it's very different when you're the ground person or the line person and you're in a, you're you're at the bedside, and you're, you know, you're starting IV, and it's like, this is the same thing I do every day. This is the same thing I do every day. This is the same thing. But now, now it's being recognized, and now it's being, hey, you know, and I would say, like, in the civilian world, like, hey, here's a little bonus, you know, because you're working a little extra, and you did really well this, you yeah know, whatever, and, you know, here's a couple hundred dollars. Um, I'm not saying that actually happened, <laughs> but...
2: Wouldn't that be nice? yeah. Hey, your IV skills yeah, are on Yeah, point. nobody Here's was like, hey, we're, we're
1: yeah. going to promote you and yeah. we're going to give you $10,000 or whatever. Now it didn't happen. So um, I, I just think it was, it was a lot of hard work and getting people, going back to what I said earlier, like mm-hmm. understanding the wheel, right? And if you can understand how the administrative part helps the clinical staff, and if you can understand how the clinical staff represents the administrative part. That's when you have gold. Yeah. And that's when things go well. So many people focused on what was negative without a plan to improve or even an idea. Just throw an idea out how to improve something because in my opinion – there are so many folks that are critical without understanding what they're critical about.
2: Yeah. They just know they don't like it.
1: Yeah. They're like, I can't say I'm Andy, (laughs) you know, because, you know, she, I don't like the way she talks to me on the, or whatever, you know, it just, it doesn't matter. Same thing with any one of us. Right. Right. And it takes a lot of solid, effective communication to reach across the aisle and say, I need a really good admin person and I need this admin person to do A, B and C. Yeah. But at the same time, I need you to kind of teach me about what A, B and C is. So that way I have a little bit of an understanding of how this works and how this failed along the way. Yeah. Because if people don't tell you, then you never know.
2: Oh God. Yeah.
1: And so one of the things that I frequently say in the military is you don't know what you don't know because people go off of what they know. Mm-hmm. Same thing with us. Right. When COVID hit, everybody would be like, Oh, it's, yeah, you know, it's the flu. I, I even, I can even vouch for saying myself, oh, I was just the flu. It's just H1N1. Right. Maybe a little bit stronger. Um, and at the same time, you know, I'd sit back and I think, think about that comment. And I'm like, okay, well, now that I've treated, I don't know how many patients, but it's a lot.
2: Now uh, I know it's not this flu. Yeah, it's not yeah. just the
1: flu. It's definitely not the flu. And,
2: and I think that just came probably because by the time it hit us, mm-hmm. it was already kind of, people around the world had already experienced it for some time before we finally got hit. So then by the time we finally saw it, we were like, ooh, yeah, this isn't just the
1: flu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the same thing. Um, it's just difficult, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. But at the same time, I also think uh, when you so without going into COVID a whole lot, when you as an individual um, see that you're making an impact uh, on the people around you is not to become self-absorbed. And, and that's probably the hardest thing to teach in the military is because a lot of folks become very self-absorbed. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I made that organization better by myself because I I did it. It took a lot of people. As a matter of fact, it took a lot of people who even didn't like me. Um, yeah. Who sat down and said, "Hey, you know, you, you know, you're kind of rough around the edges," and I'm like, "Well, I can either be honest or I can not be honest. Those are the options. So, what's going to get you from point A to point B? Is it going to be telling you that you don't have to make it to point B? That you can only you only have to make it halfway to point B? That you know, one third, three fourths. What what is what yeah. is it that you want exactly? But if we want to get to to point B, this is the honest yeah. truth, this is what we need. And uh going back to what that general said, who was and, you know, he was just an awesome dude. He was one of the officers that I, I sit back today and I'm just like, Jude was legit. General McDew, legit. Wow. And you know, he he wanted me, I remember him telling me, like, you gotta have thick skin. Him and general Tuck, we're like and they would quiz me like and you know you're sitting there like in this boardroom with all these high-ranking people and you know i'm a nobody and they're like you know hitting you with all these questions and i'm just like oh my god like he hates me right (laughs) (laughs) And and so you you transition that from the you know as a corporate military person to um to the clinical side, and it's the same thing, right? So sometimes you have to understand that you got to have questions. You got to have people question you, and not question you as in questioning your integrity, but no, question but- why you're doing something. And yeah. today, especially, you want staff members, even fellow physicians or nurse practitioners, question why you're doing something because what is working for you, and they haven't seen it. They need to know. This pathway, so that way, when they see it, they can be successful the next time around.
2: Yeah, no, that makes sense.
1: The light got you, huh?
2: The light got me. Sorry, folks, I had to move because the light was kind of in my eye, so I had to get out of the sunlight. But yeah, no, I agree. Um, It's almost like people pushing you.
1: Yeah. So I had this guy that was my mentor. Um, God, he used to drive me batshit crazy. He would just, I would present him a plan, and he would just drive holes into it, like, nonstop. He was just constantly devil's advocate. And a lot of times I thought, man, he just hates me, right? Like, <laughs> and I remember I pulled him aside one day after a meeting, and, I mean, we we're sitting here with all these high-ranking people, and I was like, Afterwards, you know, I was butthurt, right? I was butthurt, and I was Aww. extremely angry. Was, and so my level of angry is a lot different. You yeah. know, I sit there, and I'm like, hey, Sean, you know, I don't know if I was, like, we need to, like, go out back and, like, fight or what, but, you know. <laughs> You're just, ready to throw down. Yeah, I was like, dude, like, I don't get it. And he goes, you need all those questions because when you present that to the admiral, He's going to hit you with all those questions. And if you don't have those questions answered before you get in front of him, you're going to look like a jackass. And, you know, it's one of those things, like, you sit back and, well, for me, I sit back and I'm just like, man, you know, had he not done that, I wouldn't have been successful at the the next presentation. But at the moment, I was just thinking, like, you know, I had fire in my eyes. I was ready to
2: kill him. Holy crap. (laughs) You're like this dick.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. Dude, it was awful. I and I remember, like like right now, like I just get angry all over again just <laughs> thinking about it. And it's just, I was like, Sean, like, really? We're supposed to be buds. Like, what is wrong with you?
2: <laughs> oh my god!
1: Like total attack in front of everybody, yeah. right? And the the crazy part is, you know, from that perspective, you know, you're sitting there and it's like, you know, you're talking to the State Department, you're talking to, you know, all these people from all over the place. There's lawyers in the room, you know, we're like, oh, you know. Yikes. They're asking you questions, and I'm just like, okay, well, you know. Well, these are the rules of engagement. These are this, and this is that. This is what we can do, and this is our treaty with this country, and blah, 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 and whatever. And you're just thinking, and then, of course, Sean turns around, and he's like, so, how many people can you do? And I'm like, dude, (laughs) really?
2: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
1: At what point are you going to refuel? I'm like... (laughs) Really? You hit me. <laughs> you hit me with that right now? <laughs>
2: oh my gosh. Yeah. So where did you take this group that you were this last group? So we you went Said y'all were close to the
1: bottom. Yeah, so we were close to the bottom and uh, we are ranked in the teens now. Nice. Yeah, nice. and hopefully uh by the time 2021 rolls around, uh we will probably be ranked in the top five. Nice. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, which is a huge accomplishment for the organization in general. And I, I just think it's amazing. And there's a lot of there's a lot of folks that I can tell you um have enjoyed some of the leadership perspective that I've brought and at the same time there are some folks that have not. And um you know, going back to Sun Tzu, there were people that, you know, you just had to cut their head off and just kind of push forward. And that's what ended up getting a lot of things accomplished. And it's very difficult because there's there are people that you genuinely like, so I I do have I do have a story for you. Uh oh. So, uh, I'm not going to share when and where it happened, but so I had my best friend. one of the things I learned from one of the generals was he, he told me, he goes, once you get into a leadership role, the hardest part is really that you spend a lot of time doing disciplinary stuff. And Mm -hmm. which is absolutely true. Like almost 60% of your stuff is disciplinary. And then the rest of it is spent doing little things here and there. And I remember one of my very good friends and you know, we're, we're, we still talk today. Um, You know, he did something that was really stupid. He left his post uh to go make a phone call because he wanted to call home. And he was on duty that night to be the guard at the front gate. Yikes. So I get this phone call. Uh they're like, hey uh you know we can't find this person and I'm just gonna call him X, right? So they're like, hey X took off and you know he did this and and uh like, what do you want to do? And I go, well, unfortunately, I got to re- report it at the chain of command, right?
2: Yeah. What are you going to do with that?
1: So I went up there and I, I took over his post while they found him. And uh, yeah, I was I was so angry with him, I, and i it was it was a lot of disappointment. And I remember afterwards. Um, the first sergeant asked me, he was like, you know, how do you feel about taking a, you know, a stripe from him, which is, you know, his yeah. his pay. And I said, well, if it's a necessity, then I guess it's something that we have to do, right? And they did. And, uh, you know, he hated me for a little while. And But then again, you know, at the end of the deployment, he was like, hey, you know what? I'd do it all over again because I got to talk to my mom because I was worried I wasn't going to come back, Right and there's there's you know there's there's two perspectives in my opinion so there's the perspective of like okay you're about to go on a mission and you know yeah I I get it right and you know then there's the perspective that what if somebody had come through the gate yeah you know?
2: Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, what if some? What if something happened? And
1: it's not like it's a big giant gate. It, you know, it, actually, there was no gate there. We're just like in the middle of the desert.
2: So and that was the, the area. imaginary gatekeeper.
1: Yeah, he, like here's this like pseudo road yeah. that you're kind of guarding while you set up this little camp to run an operation out of. It. And so that moment, I, you know, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about myself, and it taught me a lot about understanding people and understanding that there are decisions that have to be made that are very difficult, especially, you know, when you are Do in you a real... you not think
2: that anybody was going to know, or he thought he would just be able to
1: <laughs> I have run no. and
2: make a call and come I, back? Yeah. And-
1: I don't know. I, that I, just kind
2: of puts you in a like a really bad spot. Yeah. A real bad
1: spot. The crazy part was he wasn't even on my team. He was on somebody else's team. and But because they knew we were friends, they came over and they asked me. And, and I was just thinking to myself like, uh, wow, one, I'm not a supervisor. You know, he's not, you know, yeah. we're friends. But and they're like, this is what we're thinking about doing and blah, blah, blah. And I was just like. I mean, if you got to do what you got to do, man. Yikes! Yeah, that's rough. Mm-hmm.
2: That's real rough.
1: Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's a sh- shitty position to be put in, and it's it's especially shitty when it's somebody that you care about. Yeah, and you're wanting them to make the right decisions.
2: Yeah. That stinks. That really stinks. That must have been gut wrenching,
1: though. Yeah, it was pretty rough. Mm. I think dealing with Sean was a lot harder, though.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I call it being flesh mad. Yeah, it's like flesh angry. Yeah, like Uh, when you see nothing else in your like your mind is so focused
1: on just so that's the yeah, and that's so when I say that, like I have that's the kind of anger I have. Like I focus and I, it's like a relenting direction. I'm I'm going to you know go
2: when sharks like fix to attack and their eyes roll back yeah. and they're just like so fixated on the attack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I feel. Like when I get that angry, I can't focus on anything mm-hmm. else, but like that. I just actual... got to have a chomp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've done that before. And yeah. just
1: I want to hear the seal scream, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: the confrontation. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like I, when I get so mad, I am so ready for the confrontation. You know how when you get like I don't. I know people maybe don't. I know I feel this way. My kids tell me I'm crazy, but you know how some people are like, "Oh Lord, please don't let things happen" or whatever. I'm praying for it to happen. I'm like, God, please just just let them look at me. Yeah. Just let him look at me. Just let him say something. Just let him walk two steps closer to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like I'm praying for the confrontation or the the thing to happen. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: That's terrible. No, not really. <laughs> you know what? I think if people were actually genuinely just more honest and just did the right thing, um, there'd probably be a lot less confrontation in the world. Probably. Which probably. is uncommon today.
2: Yeah. Probably. Just a little more honesty, a little more truth. And yeah. And it's not pretty. You know, I know it's not pretty, but I I'll take honesty and truth over making stuff up or lies or neglecting to do something. Any time of the day, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's kinda stupid. Mhm.
2: I'll take somebody telling me, Hey, I made a mistake over. Mm. I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have time. Uh, I didn't know you wanted the order done. I get that a lot, too. Oh, you wanted that done? Uh, Yeah, that's why there's an order for it. Oh. Was that like today? Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) I thought you meant next week. Yeah. When they're discharged.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that quite frequently, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be rough. Definitely. I think we're done.
2: I think we're good. Yeah. Folks, thanks for joining us for uh, two another MPs round and of two NPs minus one NP and an MD. So <laughs> hopefully they'll be back on the next round. Uh, like Craig said, COVID's been a little bit rough. So sometimes uh, we got to pull some extra shifts and do some extra things. But that's how it goes. Yep. Catch Check. you guys on the flip side. <laughs>
0: and if you're interested in learning more about training and consulting services offered by Ops Medical Group, uh, and how our leadership and teamwork platforms can be of service to your hospital, your medical teams, or your business, you can contact us through our website, opsmedgroup.com, which is opsmedgrp.com. And please follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Lastly, although we are medical professionals, we are not your personal medical professional. <laughs> This podcast is in no way to serve as a diagnostic information or advice, nor is it to replace any personal Medicare you might, medical care you might need. If you're worried that you may need medical care, please see your private physician or closest emergency department. If you think you need emergency care, please dial 911.
1: Thanks. Bye.